the balance of a few minutes, I'm going to share with you a devotion, a devotion today. I, I had mentioned that at the beginning of the summer, we were going to kind of focus our attention on, on Proverbs and Psalms, and today, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you turn to Proverbs chapter 13, verse 3. It's going to be kind of the launching verse as I fly through this this morning, and so for those of you taking notes, you're going to have to speed write. But I want to talk about the power of our words, the power of our words. I was reminded when I came in this morning, I was speaking to an individual who, who uh, was looking over my notes, and, and he indicated to me, he goes, you know, I'm glad you're talking about that because there, I had a teacher when I was young that told me that I had a terrible voice, and as a result of that, I never, ever sang until I was an adult. We, the power of our words that can influence people for a long, long time. And in Proverbs 13, 3, Solomon writes, he who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. And then the New Testament explanation of that comes in James chapter 3, verses 7 through 12, when it says, all kind of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in the likeness of God. And out of the same mouth come praise and cursings. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Lord, over these next few moments, would you just deposit within us through your Scripture and with the prompting of your Holy Spirit, food for thought so that we can grow closer to you and become more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you that are parents here, and I'm going to include grandparents in this because I think that this is important to us, if you can remember back, and for those of you that are parents of, of, of newborns, you'll understand this, there comes this moment of time when your children reach the age where they should begin to speak, and they begin to make some sounds, and every father begins to put his ear to the mouth of that child, hoping that the first words he hears is, Dad. <laughs> Mothers are hoping that the first word that that child can say is, Mother, Mom. We even make things up when they burp and say, oh, that, did you hear that? That was Dad. Because it becomes so important to us. Not that it's a contest or anything, but we just do feel deep down inside, and we may not say this out loud, but we think it, that if, if dad is the first word, then that means we hold a more precious place in this child's heart than mom and, and, and vice versa. And then your children grow a little bit, and, and the words that they speak, next thing is you're beginning to look for sentences. What is the first sentence that they're going to begin to say? And, and you value those things, and you write them down in their children's baby book so that you have that written down forever. And then as they grow into toddlers, there comes these precious moments when, you know, at three years old, two and a half, three and four, you sit there with them on the bed at night, and you ask them, how was their day? And they, they begin with these words just to tell you all of the details about everything that went on. And you listen carefully, and you rejoice, and, and you just celebrate with every word they say. I'm not sure when it happens, and I'm not sure how it happens, but somewhere along the line, that faucet that you could not wait to turn on, you can't turn off. And it may be 
on your first long trip in the car together. Where dad, who could not wait to be the first person mentioned, begins to make up new games, saying, how about this? I will give an award or a reward to the first child who stays quiet the longest. And then you have children intentionally lose. The only thing they ever want to lose is the game about who can stay quiet the longest because they've been told since they're infant that their words are important. You also begin to recognize things that you begin to say that you never dreamed that you would say because it sounds too much like your parents. Such as, Kids, if you've got nothing good to say, then don't say anything at all. Or this one, don't make me pull this car over. And so it is from the lips of our children that we are forcibly reminded what we adults knew all the time, and that is the power of the tongue has power over both life and death, or as James chapter 3 reads it succinctly, out of the same mouth comes praises and cursing. In fact, we teach our children this song, be careful little feet where you go, be careful little eyes what you see, be careful little hands what you touch, be careful little lips what you say, for the Father up above is looking down in love, so be careful little lips what you say. And in doing that, we are reaffirming Hebrews 4 that says that every word we speak is not only being heard by God, but it's being recorded by God. And so very quickly this morning, I want to look at our words through three different angles, using our words to harm, using our words to help, using our words to hide, using our words to harm. First of all, it is an abuse of language to use our words to harm people. The Bible tells us that this is a sin to be avoided, and it is a sin that is not unknown to any of us. In fact, it happens to come along with the fallenness of humanity. Every one of us fall into this, and it's amazing to me that of all of the things that we teach our children, teaching them how to have a bad attitude with words seems to come naturally to them. It is just there. Something we didn't teach, it just begins to percolate. And as a result of that, we look at that and say, don't you understand how powerful your words are when you try to harm people? And the Scripture talks about this. Let me give you three words to summarize them. Number one, reckless words. It tells us in Proverbs 12, 18, reckless words pierce like a sword. Interesting enough, there is a picture that comes along with this verse that because of when it was written, you would picture a, a soldier ripping his sword out of the sheath and then swinging it in an uncontrolled manner. In fact, it was almost as if a child had taken the sword of a father that can't control it, it's so heavy, and everything it's touching, it's ripping, and anybody it touches, it cuts, is what reckless words are described for to us. For those of us that like Westerns and a little bit more modern, for, you know, I love the old Westerns and, and just about every one of them, there comes this moment where there is a, a reckless outlaw who pulls his gun and starts shooting at the ground around the feet of somebody and they have to dance just to avoid the power of an indiscriminate shot. And that is what is described to us as reckless words, reckless words harm. 
Secondly, unguarded words harm. Proverbs 18, 13 says, he who answers before listening, that is to his folly. Folly means bad judgment and to his shame. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever been willing to give an answer before you heard the problem, but I see wives nodding their heads all over this room because there are times, just a few, where we husbands have a tendency to not hear the whole thing before we have an answer on how you can fix it. The Scripture indicates to us that we would be better to have heard the whole thing before we give unguarded words. I recently had a doctor appointment. The doctor said, how you doing? And I got four words in, and he goes, I've got the prescription for you. And I'm going, you didn't even hear me out. Pastors have a tendency sometimes in counseling. People come in, and you say, so what's going on? And two sentences in, you're ready to cut them off and say, I know exactly what you need. These would be considered unguarded words because we're better at talking than at listening. Another harmful thing about words is words that are too numerous. Proverbs 10, 19 says, when words are many, sin is not absent. Now, that really begins to make sense, doesn't it? Just in terms of the law of averages, that the more you talk, the more trouble you're going to get into. It's just, it's just naturally, if you're going to say a lot of stuff, there's going to be stuff at the end of the day, you're going to look back and say, I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I could take back those words. I wish that I had kept that to myself. Because the problem is the volume of words. You speak too many words, and the chances are somewhere along there you're going to regret something that you said. Now, I will admit that as I am typing this up, I started laughing because it's the irony of me being a preacher and using a lot of words. And I do this on a regular basis, and that irony is not lost on me, which today I begin to take a lot of stuff out of this because I didn't want to say too many words because I understand that power. But it is in our words that we can destroy a neighbor, that we can crush the feelings of a friend. We can set fire to relationships between people just with our words powerful potential for harm. One wrong word can spoil somebody's character, smear a reputation, mar the usefulness of someone's life for a very long time as a result of just saying too much. And as we do so, it is not wrong for us to begin to recognize that the way that we use words are, is a reflection of our character. We are known by what we say. We are known by the tone that we use. We're known by the way that people feel around us. And we understand that there are times that we say things that's painful, and the Lord begins to tell us that we need to watch the way that we use our tongue, because when we speak in ways that are harmful, there are some things that are inevitable. Number one, you will divide people who used to be friends. Proverbs 16, 28 says, a perverse man stirs up dissension. And a gossip separates friends. We probably all know people like that, that 10 minutes into a room and they've already damaged friendships of other people by the things that they say as they begin to set one person against another person. Certain things need to be left unsaid. With our words, we can ruin reputations. With our words, we can destroy the peace of homes through the careless way that we speak and we can harm and divide people. And let me just add this. Through our words, we can destroy our ability to praise the Lord. Let me, let me say it to you this way. In Ephesians 5, it says, be filled with the Spirit. In Ephesians 4, it says, do not grieve the Spirit. 
we look at that. How do we grieve the Spirit? Sometimes we grieve the Spirit by the way that we harm people with our words. You cannot have a vibrant, meaningful praise service that you are involved with when you have been using your words to tear down people and to curse people and to destroy them all week long. You may feel something on the inside, but you have damaged your ability to praise by the way that you have used your tongue throughout the rest of the week. James puts his fingers on it, and he says this, Brethren, are you really going to do this, cursing men and praising God at the same time, out of the same mouth? Don't you know that those things are not possible? He says three things never come back, a spent arrow, a spoken word, and a lost opportunity. There was a pastor who had somebody came in to visit them in the office once that was known around town as one who would gossip and destroy people, and they indicated to the pastor, I would like to change, can you help me? And the pastor said, yes, I have an exercise for you. I want you to take a pillow that's loaded with chicken feathers, and I want you to go in our small town and put a feather on every porch in town. Several hours later, the person came back and said, I have done that. What would you like me to do now? And the pastor said, I'd like you now to go back to every porch and pick up the feathers that you put there. And they said, it's been a windy day and the feathers are blowing everywhere. I can't do that. And the pastor said, exactly. You may be forgiven for what you said, but you'll never get it back. You can be forgiven, but you never get your words back. And so the Lord tells us that we are not to use our words to harm. Secondly, we can use our words to help. I like this side better because in Proverbs 10, 11, it says, the mouth of the righteous is like a fountain of life. I love the imagery because when we say that as followers of Jesus Christ that we are interested in people looking at our lives, recognizing that we're followers of Christ and wanting Christ because of the way we live, it starts with the way we speak that there would be people that look at you and being around you indicate to them, I like the way they speak when they're, it's a fountain of life to me and so I want to be near them because I know that what's going to come from them is going to be beneficial to me. And so we are encouraged as a fountain of life to speak words of encouragement and to affirm and to enrich and to reconcile and to forgive and to unite and to smooth and to bless. These are the way that in Proverbs these words are described. Number one, they're described as earrings that would adorn the wearer. Words like that are described as ornaments, which would be an enhancement to your home, and perhaps the most well-known phraseology and proverbs of good words are like golden apples in settings of silver is the power of helpful words. And helpful words are marked, number one, by being honest words. Proverbs 16.30 says, kings take pleasure in honest lips. They value a man who speaks the truth. You will only be as valuable to those around you as your truthfulness will allow you to be. So keep your promises. Secondly, there words that help are thought-out words, well-thought-out words. Proverbs 15, 28 says, The heart of the righteous weighs its answer, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. That that is such a vivid verb, gushes evil. It, it almost gives us the image of trying to fill a little cup out of a, out of a fire hydrant that's blowing water everywhere and soaking everybody around them. And the difference, the Scripture says, is that believers are thoughtful in the way that we speak. There are times that we can give too much information. Have any, some of us 
have been around people that say, TMI, TMI, that's too much information, don't want any of that. I was reminded of this several years ago when I was in a golf tournament raising money for missions, and I was in Texas, and I was golfing with another northerner, and there was this animal that stepped out into the fairway that he had never seen before, and he goes, what is that? And I said, oh, that's a fallow deer. It was imported from Europe, and they have taken hold here in Texas, and they are thriving. This is just the right environment for them. They come in three different color phases. They're chocolate color. They can be white. And this one, like this one, is spots. I happen to know that this one is a male because it has huge palmated antlers, which are way different than the white-tailed deer that we have back home. And, and I turned to look at him, and he had his hand up. He goes, that's too much information. <laughs> he said, if you'd have just said it's a deer, that would have been fine. We have a golf game to play. And then there's the aspect of sometimes there's nothing that we need to say. In Proverbs 17, 28, even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. My mother always encouraged me in the classes where I was not particularly gifted in to sit near the smart people and shut up. <laughs> sometimes just by being associated with what's going on and hearing them, you, you begin to learn things. And she goes, and as long as you don't open your mouth, nobody will know whether you know it or not. Very scriptural. She said that to a talker. But we need to be aware of those things. And then words that help are calming words. Proverbs 25, 15, a soft tongue has the power to break the bone. Proverbs 15, 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Every one of us are confronted by unfairness, unfriendliness, unkindness, and generally disagreeable people. And it's interesting that we've all been involved when people confront us about some things, and, and some of you are really, really quick. Your mind just works really fast, and you know what you want to say. And then there are others of us that I, I, I honestly believe it's God guarding our mouth, and we don't think of what we should have said till we get in the car by ourselves. And then we get in the car and go, oh, I should have said this, and I, I should have said this. And we build this whole argument all by ourselves in the car. And, and just, boy, you just wait. The next time they bring that up, I am loaded. I am ready to unload on them. And so many of you are laughing. I'm discovering I'm not the only one that has these great arguments all by myself. Do you know that that's a gift of God? You can think whatever you want. You don't have to say everything you think. And sometimes if you're a verbal processor, being able to get in a car by yourself and yell out everything that you wanted to say is the safest place to not have regret and still to be able to release some of that. So if you're driving next to me and I'm at a stoplight and it looks like I'm yelling, <laughs> do not roll down your window, please. Because sometimes in that moment, a gentle answer turns away wrath. I don't know about you, but I found it really, really uncomfortable writing this, and it's even more uncomfortable preaching it, so I, I hope that it's applicable. And then lastly, using words to hide. What I'm referring here to is the temptation to hide behind empty words or to disguise yourself as something that you're not. Last night, Cindy and I were listening to a clip from a Christian comedian, and this this guy was talking about the fact that he had gotten a new cell phone. He was one of the leaders in his church, and so he called somebody that was on his call list, and the person that answered the phone began to curse immediately. 
I don't know whose number this is. I don't recognize you. And I don't know why you called me, but blankety blank, 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 just going off on them all. Just, if you ever call this number again, you know. And, and finally, there was this moment of break where he could get a word in edgewise, and he goes, hey, this is brother so-and-so from the church. And he said, and instantly, the person on the other one said, well, praise God. Glory to God. I'm so glad to hear from you. And, and he's going, Really? Oh, really? Are you, are, you, are you really not going to address the fact that you just cursed me out 10 seconds ago, and now that you know I'm from the church, it's praise God, glory to God? You know, somebody was using words to hide what their character was not. And I would advise us, we in the church can be particularly good with this, especially when we know all the Christian cliches that we can begin to try to preserve or to pretend that we are something that on the inside is just not there. We can hide the poverty of our own spiritual life behind the terminologies that we use, and we can use this as a disguise. Even more so, as Catherine was talking this morning, and as we have seen our church be used as a birthplace of ministries and of teachers, we we're reminded that in James 3.1 it says, for those of you that seek spiritual leadership, you need to understand those of you who teach will be judged more strictly. There will be levels of judgment that come. If you're going to step into leadership, then you need to understand that you will be judged more harshly with the words that you use because the expectations are higher for leaders. In fact, Paul then goes on to tell Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12, and I love the wording of this. He said, set an example for the believers by your speech. He didn't mention his sermons. He said, the example of your speech, the example of the way that you live your life outside of the pulpit, outside of the church, this is where the influence comes in the way that you, that you speak when you're with regular people in regular places. And then Jesus turns that table and he says, let me tell you about the Pharisees. They are nothing but a bunch of talkers. They talk a great game. They tell people, have you seen me when I'm giving my alms? Have, have you seen me when I'm in the services? Do you see my flowing robes? Do you hear me praying out loud in the street corner? The great words that I use, how articulate I am and all of these things. And he says, they are living in such a way that they are hiding behind their words and they are not who they say they are. And if that's not demanding enough, Jesus says that on the day of judgment, every one of us will give an account for every word we have spoken. Every word we have spoken. And then he lays it down, and he says it will be by your words that you will be acquitted or by your words that you will be condemned. Maddie, if you'd please come to the, the piano. What does that mean? Simply this that you will know a person by the way they talk. It's amazing. You know, we have friends that when they call us on the phone, we don't even need to see their number. The first word we hear out of their mouth and we recognize them because of either the cadence of the way they talk, the way their voice sounds. But do you know that the Bible tells us that we will be known in our world by the way that we talk? And the Lord outlines for us the wisdom of all of these things. There was a poem whose author, I tried to look it up and I couldn't find it. It seems to be unknown, but the words are quite thought-provoking. It says this, 
If all that we say in a single day, with never a word left out, were printed each night in clear, plain, black and white, it would make strange reading, no doubt. And then just suppose, before our eyes closed, we should read the whole record through. Then wouldn't we sigh and wouldn't we try a great deal less talking to do? And I more than half think that many a kink would be smoother in life's tangled thread if half what I said in a single day were to be left forever unsaid. It's small wonder then when David tells us in Psalm 141.3, the instruction to us is set a guard over your words. Keep watch over the door of my lips. I'm going to ask that you'd stand with me today, and as you do so, we have this image in our minds that there may be guardian angels assigned to each of us. I, I believe with all of my heart that there, are, that there are supernatural entities that are at work. We've been protected in unique ways. We, I think the hardest job for any would be to guard our mouth, to guard our lips, to give us the sense of discernment that before we say something, just to take a breath and in that moment of pause, allow God to plant seeds in our mind, is, is this necessary? Is this helpful? What will the ripple effects be of the words? And Proverbs is filled with wisdom, and I could have gone page after page of references as it relates to the way that we speak and the way that we use our words. But my prayer today is that with David we would say, Oh God, would you set a guard over my mouth? Would you please keep watch over the door of my lips? That the words that I say will be helpful. And that I wouldn't try to hide and I wouldn't try to harm. Now, I'm not saying that there's never any time that there's not difficult things that we need to say in honesty. But do you know that you can even season difficult conversations in the presence of the Lord and with His help? And in that seasoning, they don't become words that destroy. So, Father, today as we stand here, I pray that you would take this simple outline and that you would begin to apply it to our hearts in ways that we understand the power of words. We understand the power of words in prayer. We understand the power of words in, in praise. Would you let us sense the power of words in everyday life so that we can be a fountain of life that others run to because they know that when they get near us, our words will be seasoned with life, will be thoughtful, will be well thought out, and won't be too many. And in that way, may we honor you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask that our elders and our prayer altar workers, if you'd please make your way to the front. And in just a moment, I'm going to conclude this service. And if you're here today and you would like somebody to pray with you, I want you to know that we have people available that will anoint you with oil and pray with you. We've already heard today through Catherine about healings that God has done. Maybe, maybe you want to finalize a healing that you think God did in the altar or in the aisle today when we are praying. Maybe there's some things that you would just like somebody to join you with in faith then I want to encourage you in just a moment to come. For the rest of you, I pray that you will 
be praying for us. This week we have our general council where we do the business of our national assemblies of God. Cindy and I will be going and joining all of the kids that are already there and pastors from all over the nation. Pray for traveling mercies. We'll get to see you in another week or so. Pray that God gives wisdom to all of us in that. And I pray that you have a great week in the Lord and that the easiest job in all of heaven is setting guard over your lips because you're thoughtful in everything you say. God bless you. Have a great day, and the altars are open for those of you.